containing fluids. And it must have been very, very obvious. Of course, they wore sandals and, and robes and things like this was the uh, fare of the day, the wear of, of the clothing of the day. So it was probably obvious that this man was suffering. Maybe he was wheezing. It doesn't say so, but sometimes when people suffer from congestive heart failure because of the excess fluid in their lungs and in their legs and their feet, sometimes there's wheezing and difficulty breathing. But Jesus was sitting there uh, at this Pharisee's house. This man was sitting right in front of him. Some Bible scholars surmise, I suppose, that uh, he was put there deliberately just to test Jesus to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. You know, that's, that's kind of uh, interesting to me, always is. It's because I don't care if it's the Sabbath or any other day of the week. If Jesus wants to heal somebody, I get excited about it. Can I tell you that it's always appropriate and always a good thing when Jesus heals. doesn't matter where it is or how he does it or who he uses to do it. I'm thankful that he still is the same today as he was yesterday and he will be tomorrow. Same to say amen. So uh, Jesus just asked them the question. He says, hey, is it uh, lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And nobody answered him. So they were just kind of waiting to see what he'd do. Well, Jesus healed the man and after he healed him, Uh, he taught a brief uh, lesson about serving others uh, in this chapter. And then Jesus uh, says to those who serve others, he says that they will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous, Luke chapter 14, 14. And at the mention of the resurrection, when soon as Jesus mentioned the resurrection, one good thing that the Pharisees believed, and they believed in the right things, is just they behaved in a legalistic manner and treated people as, uh, as uh, uh, kind of scum under their feet, the average people. But at the mention of the resurrection, somebody speaks up and says, blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. He was talking about a future life beyond this life's body life cycle, that when we die, there is a future and there is a hope. And this man was blessed is the man who can eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. And in Jesus' reply, Jesus tells the parable of the great banquet. He says, and he just starts out, and he tells this parable. Now, in the parable, a man had planned a great banquet, a large banquet, and he sent out invitations. And when the banquet was ready, he sent his servant to contact each one of the invited guests, telling them that everything was ready. And the meal was about ready to start, so why don't you come on and join us for this great feast that has been prepared. So much work had gone into it, so much preparation. And yet when the servant went out to invite them one after another, the guests made excuses for not coming. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine if your daughter was getting married and you hired a a, a restaurant and a caterer and you prepared this incredible feast that cost you thousands and thousands of dollars and the people that you had invited at the last minute started making excuses not to come. But they were making crazy excuses, ridiculous excuses. One said he just bought a piece of land and he had to go out and see it and see the land. Well, who buys a piece of land without seeing it first? You can see how ridiculous this is. Another said he had purchased some oxen and he was on his way to yoke them up and try them out. You know, who does that? And another one gave the excuse that he was newly married and therefore he couldn't come because he was just married. And, you know, what kind of a a married couple turns down social invitations after they're married? They're usually proud to go there. But the usual questions about this parable are many times in people's minds is, who is... 
And what is the responsibility of the servant? Was it his responsibility, in other words, to issue the invitation and then make sure people went? Or was it his job just to issue the, the invitation? And secondly, how do we handle rejection? Because the servant was rejected in a way. How do we handle rejection? Do you, have you ever been rejected? Have you? Uh, you know, it's part of life. In fact, the spirit of rejection is, has came into, the, into humanity because of sin. Rejection. And so thirdly, what is the servant's ongoing mission after this? He performed his mission well. He did what he was told to do, but he didn't have success in his mission. So the servant, <clears throat> number one, is a messenger. He's a messenger. And what does Luke chapter 14, 17, uh, and uh, 18 say? Or verse 17, I should say. It says, at the time of the banquet, he sent... The master sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything is ready. And what a privilege that is. Uh, because serving God, we are his messengers. Amen. And what a privilege it is to be a messenger for the Son of God, for the kingdom of God. To invite people to come and dine at the master's table. We're, we're, we're called to represent the Lord Jesus Christ. When we get saved, when we get filled with the Spirit, He fills us with the Spirit so that we can be His witnesses. Somebody say amen. amen. And what a privilege that is to be able to share with others the life that we have received, to share with others the forgiveness of sins, to share with others the hope and the promise of eternal life, to share with others who are wrapped up and in bondage in the same way that we used to be in bondage. To be able to share with them that there is a way out, that there is a deliverer, that there is someone who can break the shackles of your sin and of what you're bound with. So we are witnesses for the risen Christ. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says, but you will receive power. These are the words of Jesus. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And what will you receive that power for? Jesus says, so that you can be my witnesses. So that you will be empowered to share the message of the gospel. So that the message of the gospel, when it comes out of your lips as a believer, when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, is not just going to be empty words spoken out into the atmosphere, but they will be charged with the anointing of the Holy Spirit to accomplish the purposes that God wants to do. That when you speak the word of God under the anointing of the Spirit, because the word and the gospel is anointed, it will pierce the hearts of people. It will bring conviction of their sin. It will bring an awareness that I need a Savior, that I need forgiveness. And people respond to the gospel, respond to the conviction in different ways. Some turn away. Some say, let's talk about this another day. Somebody says, I don't want to give up my rights and my life and my freedom. And others say that I'm ready to let it go because this world has given me nothing but heartache. My sin has not brought me the pleasure that I thought I was going to get. And we are the witnesses. And Jesus said, I'm going to empower you to be my witnesses. And what are you going to do? What are you going to do? You're going to, tell me, you're going to tell about me, Jesus said, everywhere. Beginning in your hometown, Jerusalem, in Judea, throughout your area, Samaria, and throughout the entire earth. And that's what God has called his people to be. Is to be his messengers. To be his servants that go out and spread the news. As ambassadors for Christ, 2 Corinthians 5.20 says this. Paul says that we are Christ's ambassadors. And what is he saying? God is making his appeal, say, through us, through us, through us. In other words, God wants to speak 
the very words of God to people who are lost and dying through you. You are his conduit. You are his vessel. You are his spokesperson. He wants to use you to bring people to a saving knowledge of Christ. And Paul says that when we speak, we speak for Christ. When we plead, come back to God. You know how many people need to hear that message? I'm so thankful for my sister and for my mother that when I was far from God when I was young, is they kept being ambassadors for Christ and telling me that you need to come back to God. You need to return to the Lord. You need to come back to the Lord because He is chasing you. You need to come back to God because He will never give up on you until you turn your life to Jesus. And they kept saying that over and over. What were they doing? They were God's messenger to me who was lost and dying without Christ. And there's people just like me, just like you, who are out there who need to hear the message is that you can, no matter what you've done, no matter how deep into sin you have gone, no matter how many people you have hurt, and can I tell you that people who have hurt people are usually hurt people themselves, and they've hurt themselves, shot themselves in the foot more than anything else, and they're hurting and broken, but you can come back to the Lord that God still loves you, that God still is reaching out to you, that God hasn't given up on you, that God will chase you until the day you die. That's the persistence of the love of God. Somebody say amen. Praise God. And the urgency of that invitation, you know, that he wants uh, us to be the light of the world because people are living in darkness and there's an urgency in the darkness. Don and I, uh, yesterday we found on YouTube, I like old movies, we do, uh, probably me more than her, old black and white movies, and found this um, series on there. And one thing she said to me, she says, you know what I hate about these movies is, and I was thinking the same thing, is that when they're in a dark room and they light a lantern or have a candle, usually in the more modern movies, they, they go ahead and act like that candle lights up the whole room so you can see what's going on, but they're in all total darkness. <laughs> I mean, this is reality. And, and it's like that little candle or that little lantern, you can't see anything in that movie. It's black all around it. It's frustrating. Because, listen, because when you're in darkness, you want to see what's, what you don't see. You know, one time there were, well, more than once in the, as a serial, uh, they were, the, the head character was down, walking downstairs deep into a dark basement. And, and he's walking down the aisle, and then he gets out through this tunnel that's supposed to lead out by the seashore. All I can think about is, oh my gosh, if that was real, there's rats everywhere. I hate rats. <laughs> I, you know, and I was thinking, if I was him, I would want a bigger light, you know. One time he has a flashlight and he's looking around. It's a flashlight isn't going to catch and see what's all around you, what you can't see, you know. Walking through there, there's probably big spider webs that you walk through and then you're peeling them off and they don't come off, you know that. And so I like to see, I like to see what's, what I don't see. Somebody, are you that way? is I like to see what I don't see so I can avoid what I don't like. People are in darkness. I used to live in darkness before I found Christ. Did you live in darkness? You remember what it was like? You know, one of the things about being a Christian and being forgiven and being cleansed and delivered from your sins is that and this little euphoric feeling that you get that I belong to God and how could he love me? Oh, the love of God is so precious is that the longer we serve God, sometimes we forget. Sometimes we forget where we came from. And, you know, the danger of that is sometimes when we do that, we start walking in darkness because we forget how he brought us out of the darkness. And sometimes we begin to judge other people who are living in darkness as if we had never lived in darkness. 
The church isn't called here to judge the world. We're here to, to reach out to the world. We're out here to be lights of the gospel, not to judge people on how they live. Now, we are supposed to hold people accountable in the church about how they live because we're called to a standard. But people in the world are living like people in the world. They don't know Christ. They don't know what's right and wrong is. They don't. What did, Paul, what did God say to Jonah about Nineveh, a city who was, he was going to destroy because of their sin? And, and when he decided to save them, when they put on sackcloth and ashes from the king down and repented, God was delighted. Say delighted. He was thrilled to save them, to, to hold off judgment. God isn't looking to judge. He wants to find a reason not to judge. That's God's heart. And if that's God's heart, shouldn't that be our heart? Shouldn't we care about the lost? Shouldn't we care about people living in darkness? Amen? Amen. I see my friend Jim sitting back here. And uh, Jim's a part of several um, uh, ministries, parachurch ministries outside the local church, that we, the jail ministry. And there are people, Jim, living in darkness. And what's the jail ministry and the visitors that go to the jail? They're the lights, reflecting the light of Christ, the light of the gospel, giving hope in darkness so that people can see what they don't see. So they can understand and so they have an opportunity like you had to turn to the living God for salvation. And we are the messengers. We are the servants. And not everybody goes to the jail ministry, but you live in a world, your world, where there's people that you know, people that are acquaintances, people that are strangers, people that are co-workers, people that are relatives, distant or sometimes close relatives, that need to hear the hope that caused you to turn to Christ. We need to reproduce ourselves by being messengers, by shining light. Philippians 2.15 says, live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining the bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. You know what Christians oftentimes do? It's a tendency that the enemy likes to bait us into doing is to start cursing the crooked and the perverse people. After all, they are irritating. But we're not. (laughs) But instead of cursing the people, why don't we just shine light and pray for them? I found out a long time ago uh, that... Uh, I used used to be a gossip. God had to deliver me from that. I used to be self-righteous. The longer I served the Lord, I thought, man, I've overcome this, overcome that, and I held my head high, and then I would look down on people who were still back there, still bound by those things. Self-righteous. I said before, you know, a few weeks ago, that I was a Pharisee. And so, and you know what God showed me? He showed me this, and it's not in words, but this impression in my soul, is you could, instead of using your words to condemn and criticize people, you could use the same amount of words to bless them and to pray for them. Yes, sir. Amen. You choose how you use your words. Amen. You get to choose what comes out of your mouth. And remember, Jesus said it's not what goes into the body that defiles the man. It's what comes out of the mouth, that comes out of the heart. 
and we'll either be condemned or justified by our words. And so God showed me this and just dealing with me, aren't you glad God didn't condemn me and turn me into a pile of dust and send me to hell? That He was merciful to me and He was kind to me and He he walked with me to help me see my sin and my failure, my weaknesses, and He's not done with me yet because I'm not perfect yet, and neither are you. But He lovingly showed me my sin. And I said a few weeks ago that, that God just showed me at that altar waiting for my pastor to come pray for me. He showed me this big, it's like a big screen, like a big movie screen in my mind, and, you know, I saw my mouth running. And I was like, oh my God, that is so ugly. It's so ugly. And I was ashamed and I repented. I didn't realize what I looked like, what I sounded like to people. And so God is loving. He changes us. Why does he do it? Because he wants to mold us and shape us into the image of Christ. And he wants us to be his messenger. And he wants his messenger to reflect who he is, not who we are. We're light reflectors of the light of the world. And so live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people who need to see the light. God has called that. There's an urgency to this invitation. He says, come now for all is ready. Come, it's urgent that you come now. The food is hot. It's ready. It's it's prepared in a loving way. It's a massive banquet. It's an incredible feast. And just like God gives a generous invitation for us and for people in the world to come and dine. We have a mandate to invite people to come to the Lord. Isaiah 1.18 says this, come now. He's talking to a sinful nation who have violated the rules of covenant, who have sinned and were worshiping idols. And yet God says to them, come Let us settle this. Come, let us reason together, one translation says. Though your sins are like scarlet, I will make them as white as snow. And though they're red like crimson, I'll make them as white as wool. This is the heart of God, the heart of the Father. That's why he sent Christ to die a sinner's death on the cross so that we who were sinners could be righteous. His invitation is to come. Just receive the gift freely. And then freely as you receive, freely share. Secondly, the invitation was rejected. Can you imagine anybody in their right mind rejecting an invitation to such an incredible feast? But they did. Verse 18 says, but they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I just bought a field. I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought a five yoke of oxen and a mama way to try them out. Please excuse me. So another said, I just got married and I can't come. The master of the house in this parable represents God. And the greatest banquet of the kingdom is a metaphor. This is a metaphor that was suggested by the speaker at the table. The invited guests pictured the Jewish nation in, in the context of it. And the kingdom was prepared for them. And we know what the Word of God says is that Jesus came unto his own, but his own did not receive him. Jesus came preaching the kingdom of heaven is near in Matthew 4, 17, and he was rejected. Rejected by his own people. And and you think about the lame excuses offered to the servant were intended, they were intended, there was a reason behind it, it was not accidental. They were intentionally designed to be insulting to the host 
of the feast. <clears throat> I think of Jesus once said of the people of Israel, we will not have this man to rule over us. Rejection of God, rejection of his son, rejection of spiritually delegated authorities. The servant felt, can you imagine this? Because the servant loved his master. The servant cared about his master. The servant was a recipient, like we are, of the generosity of the master. How many know that God has been generous to us? And this servant was serving him not because he had to, but he was serving because he loved his Lord. And that's why we serve. But these people were sending a message with rejection and insult in their excuses to the master. Let me ask you something. When, When you're rejected by people who you've invited to come to Christ... Can I just tell you something? Number one, how do you feel? And, and secondly, and I know how you feel because I've, I've been there. But I've come to realize by the revelation of the Holy Spirit, they're not really rejecting me. They're rejecting my Lord. They're, they're rejecting me, but they're rejecting my Lord. And, and when they mock you and they try to make you feel foolish for being a Christian, for believing in that stuff, they're really mocking the Christ that we serve. Paul, when he was Saul, before he got saved, he was a persecutor of the Christians, but Jesus took it personally. It was directed at them, but Jesus took it personally. Because why? Because Saul had touched the apple of his eye. We are the apple of God's eye, because we are the redeemed of the Lord. And the scripture says in in, uh, Acts chapter 9 that Paul was breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. And he went to the high priest and he got letters uh, uh, from the synagogues uh, to take Damascus to introduce him and to give him the right to arrest anybody who belongs to the way, uh, to Christianity, whether it be men or women, that he might take them prisoners back to Jerusalem in chains. And this verse number 3 of that chapter says that as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly, say suddenly, suddenly a light from heaven flashed all around him and he fell to the ground and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And, and Saul asked the question, who are you? And Jesus replied back to him that I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. Now what's the incredible part of this is is that Saul didn't even know Jesus. Okay? But he hated those who followed Jesus. And he was persecuting them. And yet Jesus said, why are you persecuting me? You know what he's saying? Because when you persecute my children, you're doing it to me. Amen? Let me tell you, if you're a parent, if somebody attacks your child unjustly and is unkind and is cruel to them, you take it very personally, don't you? Right? It's like, because if you did it to them, you're doing it to me. So, you know, here we are. So we need to continue, the story here, you know, really, is to continue to be faithful, 
to witness and to invite people to come to Christ, even when they persecute you, even when they make fun of you. Because who knows? Maybe there's another Apostle Paul. Amen? Because Paul got saved. He got saved. And he turned the world upside down. He wrote most of the New Testament. I remember back when we lived in Liberty, Missouri, our house that we owned on uh, Hockridge Street. Was it Hockridge? I think it was. Yeah, Hockridge Street. Boy, it's been so many years. Uh, that our next-door neighbor, next-door neighbor moved in. <clears throat> and, uh, and his name was Rick, and his wife's name was Pam, and they had small children, a little younger than our oldest daughters, and they used to you know, see each other through the fence. We had a chain link fence and played, you know, played and stuff like this, but they were nice people. Well, all of a sudden, you know, he worked at the Ford Motor Company, the plant there in Claycomo, Missouri, and had a good job, but he also had a moving business. He had moving vans, and he'd hire his cousins and his brothers, and they had all, you know, had a good moving. He was a very hard worker, very uh, industrious and uh, innovative in in creating creating business. And, And one day, you know, I found out that he, we would talk over the fence different times and just general stuff. And one day he starts, he starts talking like, talking like he's a Christian. And I just stopped and I said, Rick, can I ask you a question? And he said, sure. And I said, what happened to you? And he says, I got saved. And uh, we were going to Faith Fellowship, a charismatic church, and he was going to the Assembly of God, where we eventually ended up later, years later. And, you know, Rick gave me his testimony. He said, you know, I I was bust into the the church as a kid. And he said, my mom goes there now. And he said, "Uh, I was, let me tell you the rest of the Later, he got called into ministry, left that incredible job at Ford Motor Company, sold his business, and went off to Bible college and became a pastor. Just gave it all up because God touched his life. And he told me, he says, you know, Tim, when I was a boy, he said, I was the kid that every Sunday school teacher and every children's church worker hated to get. He said, I was a terror an unholy terror. I caused trouble. I caused fights. He said, I was hard to handle. I was disobedient. I was disrespectful. And he says, yet, you know what happened? They just loved me anyway. I was just saying that there are people like that as children. There are people like that like adults. And they irritate the daylights out of you. And your tendency is to write them off and walk away. But I am so thankful that they didn't walk away from Rick, that they continued to reach out to him and to love him. You know, he went to a a revival meeting they were having at the church. His mother invited him, and he probably turned her down a hundred times before, but this time he went, and he said, I went to that meeting, and I went down to the altar, and I got saved. And then he got filled with the Holy Spirit, and then he got called into ministry. That's Rick's story. There's people out there that you need to invite, even though they may seem like the last possible person who would ever respond to the gospel. Verse 21 of Luke 14 says that the servant came back and reported to his master, and then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant to do something different. 
They all rejected your invitation. All this food is prepared. It's been worked so hard. It's cost so much money. And the servant got a new mission from his master. In verses 21 and 22, the, the master told him, go out quickly, hurry, into the streets and the alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And after the servant had done this, he reported, there's still room at your table. People are dining and eating, but they're still open. And, and so he gave him another. He says, go back out. Go back out into the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. And I tell you that not one of those who were invited will ever taste of my banquet. They rejected it. Go to the unworthy. Go to those who have been rejected. Go to those who are hungry for answers to their pain. Go to those who are thirsting for living water. They're thirsty and they don't even know what they're thirsty for. And the servant obeyed again until the room at the table was filled. You know, the story is, the purpose of this is that God opened up salvation to the Gentiles. And, and I'm a Gentile, so I'm really happy about that. Because Paul said in Ephesians that we were those who were Aliens and strangers from the covenants and the promises of God. We weren't a part of his kingdom. There was a wall, Paul says, that separated us. And you know what the gospel did? You know what the cross did? It tore down the wall. And, and God reached into our hearts and our lives by the blood of Christ and he reached out to us, and as many who would receive him and receive his hand became the children of God. We became people of covenant. The door opened up to us. Jesus was telling them, listen, you, to the Jews, you reject me, I will have a people. John MacArthur said that God is more willing to save sinners than sinners are willing to be saved. I think that's true. The inclusion of the Gentiles is the fulfillment of Hosea 2.23 where he says, I will say to those people called not my people, you are my people, and they will say, you are my God. God is not willing that any should perish but all come to repentance. 2 Peter 3.9 says, and everybody who calls on the name of the Lord, Romans 10.13, one of my favorite scriptures, will be saved. Doesn't matter who you are. Doesn't matter what you've done. Doesn't matter what your past is. Doesn't matter what your job is. Doesn't matter how many times you failed. Doesn't, doesn't matter. If you call on the name of the Lord, you'll get saved. And the you know, conclusion is, is that, I'm going to ask the worship team to come back, is God asked the question in Isaiah 55.1. He asked this question, and, and he's asking you this question today, and anybody watching online today or in the future, he says, is anyone thirsty? I don't know about you, but I used to be thirsty for something I didn't even know existed. I was thirsty for the love of God. I was thirsty for the living water. I was drinking stuff that didn't satisfy, doing things that brought more pain. More shame, more rejection. I was thirsty, but I didn't know that there was living water. I didn't know that God made a way for me. Is anyone thirsty? Come and drink. 
Even if you don't have any money, you don't need money. Come and take your choice of wine or milk. It's all free. It's free. Why spend your money on food that doesn't give you any strength? He asked the question. That's a good question. Why do you keep doing what you've always done and getting what you've always had? That's really what he's saying. Why don't you try something different for a change? Why don't you try God? Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good, the scriptures say. Why pay for food that does you no good? Listen to me. And you will eat what is good and you will enjoy the finest food. God only gives you his best. He doesn't give you leftovers from last week. Even though I like leftovers. But he gives you the choicest food. A new life. Can I just say before we pray. There's people all around us. Everywhere. That are feasting on things that will never satisfy. They're full but they're hungry. They're eating but they're malnourished. They're starving for something that they know nothing about. And we are his messengers. We are his servants that he wants us to to send us to them, to compel them to come and sit at the banquet table of the Lord and eat of his salvation, eat of his spirit, drink of his spirit, and then they can go out and invite others to enjoy what they have received. That's really what it's about for us. Freely you've received, freely give. You are his messengers. You are his witnesses. Spout for prayer. Heavenly Father, stir our hearts and open our eyes to see people that are in our world. People that you put before us. Just like this sick man, Lord, with congestive heart failure was put right before Jesus so he could see him. Put people right in front of us and then open our eyes to see them how you see them. Open up our mouth, God, and let your words flow by the anointing of the Spirit to pierce their hearts and invite them to come to the feast. Father, use us. Use people here today that have never witness to anyone to this week to open up their eyes and then open up their heart and open up their mouth and begin to invite and to speak life into that person. Father, we pray in Jesus' name.